remember online shopping used to be kind of a hassle and now it's the only way I can shop. Yeah, I remember. Oh, my God. Just just memory unlocked. Do you remember like when Victoria's Secret sold clothes? Like clothes, not just pink. Like <laughs> yes. there was a Victoria's Secret fashion line. Yes, very vaguely. It was kind of like slutty office wear, if I'm remembering correctly. It was the aesthetic was supposed to be like model off duty. And but yeah, kind of. It was like a lot of well, at the time it was a lot of off the shoulder tops that I bought. Um, V-neck tops, like slinky dolman shirts. And I bought other things. Tunics. Oh, remember I had those tunics and they were just, you know, like they were like basically a bodycon dress that I would wear with leggings. Do you remember when you got that shirt that was like, kiss this and Dave got mad at you? Yes. <laughs> He's like, you can't wear that because people will take it as an invitation. I was like, Dave, this is not an episode of Lauren or SVU. I hope they don't just take it. Well, now, did they... Did they do that thing where they were like, ooh, is that an invitation? <laughs> Would they make that joke? Probably. <laughs> yes, they did. And listen, did part of me know they would make the joke? And did I want the attention? Of course. Did Paige once go to a stoplight party? And when I said, why are you wearing green shirt in a relationship? She said, I only have green shirts. That's not true. But, but you refuse to wear red. I don't remember this. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm going to wear a green shirt because, you know, green is single. You're like, I'm also going to wear a green shirt. And I was like, well, why would you wear a red shirt? You're like, I just don't have any. And I'm like, OK. <laughs> I think you probably offered to let me one. <laughs> and to be honest, oh, my God. Square. It's not like you had any intention of like hooking up at this party, but you were like, I will be wearing green, though. I do remember having, actually, it was, it's sort of on topic. It was from Victoria's Secret, a very V-neck green t-shirt, because that's what you wore back then. You just wore, like, different variations of t-shirts, tube tops, tank tops that slang all the way down past your boobs. That was a weird, I always thought I just didn't fill out shirts. Like, I thought because of my shoulder structure, I was like, oh, like, halter, not halter tops, um, they're racer back. That's why they hang so low on me. And I'm like, oh, no, that was, like, literally what they sold us like that was the outfit you literally needed a bandeau because otherwise your bra was gonna full-on show i i watched like bad girls carpet runs and they were all wearing things like that and i'm like so this was just like this was everywhere i didn't realize it was everywhere it wasn't a choice to be made it was made for us yeah <laughs> that was that's such a good way to describe all of the 2010s oh like we did not have a choice it was made for mm-hmm. us should we get into it Let's get into it. Let me check this email quick. Okay, that's just my Amazon delivery. I bought a t-shirt. Is it low and flowy? Oh my god. And they were so flowy. The way that they would cascade down like an apron for your tummy. Well, that is an apron. (laughs) (laughs) We were all just wearing aprons and bodycon skirts. And you know what? I think it's kind I won't. I won't distract us any further with that. I could do this all day. This We could have a whole separate episode where I just talk about fashions from the early 2010s. Shit I wore in the early 2010s. We could even make a slideshow. <gasps> okay, I might have to. I'm just to. like picturing. Sorry, if I'm making a mean face, it's because I'm literally picturing things I wore. Do you remember that feather tank top I had? It was white and it had black and white feathers on it. And I wore it with like a colorful cardigan, skinny jeans and a fucking beret. Yes. Like I was some sort of. Brittany, I remember this outfit vividly. It was a, I think it was a black or like dull pink beret 
that tank top and it was like painted feathers like it wasn't like cartoon feathers they were like brush stroke painted feathers a black cardigan and your green yes forest green skinny jeans from express and the blowfish booties oh my god i miss those those were the cutest ugliest shoes i ever owned i bought a red pair and i remember thinking oh i'm gonna wear these all the time and guess what it's very hard (laughs) to wear red shoes out and about like you're not peter fucking pan or something i was just thinking like we should get to the episode and then i was like remember those ugly ass high heels that were just like yes like the block heel we you had a tan pair and a black pair and i just had a black pair those shoes were so comfortable but you could like look slutty in them they were awesome oh my god we wore them i wore them to class (laughs) wore heels to class they were like horse hooves. That's why I like them. I won't even wear heels to work. This has been Brittany and Paige's Fashion Hour. <laughs> thank you for See, thank you for joining us. <laughs> that this is the content that you would have gotten if we didn't like give ourselves a theme. <laughs> <laughs> Annoying girl content. We were like, not us. We're not gonna be another successful podcast. We will just be strictly SVU. Strictly sexually based offenses. <laughs> I sounded like Cassidy. Okay, enough, enough, Paige, enough. Um, Before I think of another item, this week we're going to be talking about, so we're on it. Okay, Brittany, as you know, I don't know where we are episodically anymore. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> um, so until we enter season two, I'm going to be asking you. Um, I believe this is Elite Squad Pod's 11th episode. Yes. All right, which would make this SVU season one, episode 10, closure part one. Correct. Original air date, January 7th, 2000. We are in the new millennium, people. This is their first episode after their winter hiatus. Um, I kind of thought the last episode was an interesting one for them to leave off on, but all right, we're still here, I guess. Yeah, I feel like stalked would have been better to leave off on because it was like such a bang. It was a much more serious episode. Stocks and Bondage was... (laughs) <laughs> a, a, a madcap adventure <laughs> holy shit so this episode was directed by steven wertimer i assume if you're here for an svu podcast you know what svu is about in case not this episode deals with rape and it goes into detail so if that makes you uncomfortable i would maybe skip this episode and join us next time if not Let's get into it. So we are in an apartment, um, very colorful decor. And for the first time, we're seeing a timestamp. It's 11.17 p.m. And there's a woman with wet hair sitting in a chair. She's smoking a cigarette and she looks very despondent. She's kind of staring off into nothing. Finally, she picks up a phone and she dials 911. And she tells the 911 operator she has just been raped. So So now... No, go on. I, I don't like the more I watched the scene, the angrier I got. Like on every re- rewatch, I became so angry. So we cut right to another apartment where we're hearing a beeper go off. Surprise, surprise, but not really because we've seen this before. It's Olivia and Cassidy and they're in bed together. It's just so annoying. She's like reaching for the beeper and he's like reaching like over on top of her, like laying his entire body on hers. And she's like, yep, it's mine. It's my beeper. And he's like, hey, whoa, hey, 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 oh, hey, whoa. Eh, eh, eh. And then when he finally stops, he goes, that was incredible. <laughs> yeah. And a 
Olivia, who's looking cute and disheveled, she just goes, yeah, don't get used to it. <laughs> Already, he was giving horrendous, creepy, obsessive vibes. You're right. I didn't even think about how when she rolled over to check her beeper, he came with her. Like, as though he, like, was stuck to her back. He was like, oh, guess we're both going now. Big spoon, little spoon. Like, Oh, yeah. No, he is, like, full on, like, laying on top of her, pretend- almost, like, pretending to fumble for his beeper. When he knows full well it's hers. And he forgot his scruples momentarily because he was like, hey, hey, where are you going? And it's like to do our job, which is sex crimes. So obviously if someone's beepering any of us, either of us in this room, it is because a sex crime has occurred. Seriously. So Olivia's like, yep, peace, gotta go. That was awful. Dun, dun. (laughs) Dun, dun. We're at a hospital. Benson approaches the front desk and asks about the, uh, he called it a 1034, I think. And the desk attendant says, which one? Ew. So I looked up a 1034 thinking it was some sort of police code, maybe. There is a 1034 police code and it's for a riot. I was like, maybe it's another kind of code then. I, okay. Maybe hospital. But that's not a riot. Codes. Oh. Maybe it's a code. I don't know. I'm not a code expert. Oh my god, these poor people have to know so many things. Different languages for hospitals, too. They're hospital languages. So Olivia says she's looking for a 29-year-old female, white, um, and the woman from earlier calls Olivia over and is like, yep, I guess that's me. But I said 29. I feel bad even commenting on the actor. You know what? I'm not going to do it. Fine. Strip me of my joy. I will just say, this is guest star Tracy Pollan. She is best known for her role as Ellen Reed on Family Ties. Uh, She's married to Michael J. Fox, and she was nominated for a Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Guest Actress in a Drama Series for this episode. Oh. Yeah. Now I'm going to be a lot nicer to Tracy because I love Michael J. Fox. (laughs) A short king. Probably the king of short kings. He might be the king of short kings, actually. Hmm. No, he is. He is the king of short kings. It used to be Mickey Rooney. So now it's Michael J. Fox. And then eventually, Daniel Radcliffe and Elijah Wood will have to have a very polite conversation about who gets to be the short Ooh. king. That's really hard. They're so nice, the two of them. If there was one that was like a blatant dick, I'd be able to choose. But like, they might just have to like share the throne. Or maybe be short kings of different countries. Like Elijah Wood can you be know the what? short king of America and Daniel Radcliffe can be the short king of um, England. Whatever. I feel better about this because I just don't think I could have no, picked they're otherwise. they're both really cute. Yeah, they're both and such good people, mm. good families. Mm. Anyway. <laughs> Back to um, this shit show. Oh, uh, this shit show. So the woman introduces herself as Harper Anderson. Brittany already said that. Um, Benson tries calling her Ms. Anderson and Harper is like, Harper, please, please just talk to me. So Benson asks where the ground cop who was guarding Harper went, and Harper says that she sent him to the cafeteria because he was getting on her nerves. This does come up, which is the only reason why I'm mentioning it here. So Olivia asks her to describe the assault. Um, I'm going to get a little graphic here because that's what the script does. But so Harper, we're about to take Harper through her rape kit, and it's all going to be very clinical. So bear with us. There's there's really nothing that funny here. she was grabbed, she was hit on the side of her face, and then he raped her. He ejaculated on her stomach, wiped it off with her shirt. He then made her take a shower. Olivia goes and finds the doctor, tells him he needs to come with her to perform the rape kit. I would have wanted a female doctor. Yeah. But they get this schmo. 
her bruises are photographed. Then she swabs the inside of her mouth. He takes scrapings from underneath her fingernails. And then the doctor takes some vaginal swabs. This whole process is obviously like very painful and evasive, invasive for Harper. It's now 2.11 a.m. and the rape kit is finally done. Um, just a reminder that this whole thing started at 11. So it has now been several hours. Finally, the doctor gives her plan B and then tells her that she's going to need to have an STD test done again at both the three and six month mark. Acting aside, I think the show does a great job here at showing how fucking awful this whole ordeal is from beginning to end and how rape kit makes it sound almost like small. Like, oh, they did a rape kit that just kind of sounds like it doesn't take a lot of time. And this clearly was hours of people up in your fucking business when you really want people in your business the least. What I appreciated was when they included Harper said, who's paying for this? And Olivia said, the state. And they repeated that a couple of times. And I think that was because I actually didn't realize Brittany said that this was to show the audience the process in real life. And so I don't think a lot of victims would know that, that it's like paid for by the state when you're attacked, you know, so you don't have to worry about things like that. Because there's a concern. That's a real problem that some people might think about. Unfortunately, 100%. I don't know that I've ever, besides special victims unit, seen a rape kit portrayed on a television show. I don't think so either. I'm trying to... And I watch Maybe a lot a of pre- police procedurals. You know, you know me. I love my CSI monk. Obviously, they're not going to show a fucking rape kit on monk. Harper asks what's next, and Benson says they just need to take her statement. And Benson says that they could either take her to the station or they could take her home and do the statement there. Oh, no, I think they said we could take you to the station and get your statement now, or this can wait until tomorrow and we can get it later. You can go home first. And she said, I just want to get it out of the way now. I totally understand that. Just wanting it to be over and not wanting to go home knowing you have to like go back to the station, like retell the story. Dun dun. So it's not really a dun dun. Uh, Hospital hallway. So Stabler is speaking with the male doctor that was performing the rape kit. And the doctor says that the attacker used as little force as possible. Uh, So the ground cop that Harper sent away to the cafeteria returns right then. And he walks up to Stabler and the doctor and asks if they're talking about the stranger rape. He's got like a soft drink. He kind of wanders up and he's like, did you hear about the stranger rape? And it's like, bro. Yeah, it's just, again, let's, let's use nicer language. Say, oh, Harper, Harper Anderson. Are you, are you talking about Harper Anderson? You know, like that, you know. So Stabler's like, you left the victim? And he's like, yeah, she told me to do. Stabler kind of looks real pissed. And he's like, do not ever do that. For once, this cop actually looks like he's listening. Like, a lot of times yeah. they're like, oh, whatever. This one's, like, kind of has, like, his eyes open wide, like, yes, yes, yes. Okay, ne- in the future, I will never do that. And he tells Stabler the crime scene has been secured. Benson and Stabler are going to take Harper to the station to get her statement. And this cop says he's going to take the rape kit straight to the Emmy. Right. I can kind of understand her feelings of not wanting to be watched oh, at that yeah. point, you know? So I thought Stabler's reaction was a little over the top here, but I also get what he means. And also, I think it was kind of a random scene and we never see that guy again. I think it was once again supposed to explain to the audience what the processes are, you know? So like, you shouldn't be left alone by the cops. They should be supporting you the whole time, you know, that type of thing. Um, dun, dun, whether that happens or not. Dun, dun. So now we're back at the station and we're in one of the interview interview rooms this scene was super well done because it was like she jumps around in in her descriptions of the attack which is exactly what you would do in real life i think if you were trying to like remember details and your brain's just like all over the place absolutely um i will note it's now 3 45 a.m 
like I said, they keep showing us the timestamps. Um, and Benson and Stabler are bringing a coffee to Harper and ask her to start from the beginning. Harper describes the night of the attack. Um, again, she kind of jumps around, but there was a street fair on her street that night, and it was loud. So she decided to put in earplugs. She woke up and there was a man standing there staring at her. Fucking terrifying. Like literally terrifying. There. And he's holding one of her shirts in his hand. He told her to close her eyes and he said he had a gun and he got on top of her. He said that the whole attack took 42 minutes because she looked at the clock. So after he took off her nightgown, she was wearing a nightgown. He took it and he pulled it over her head to cover her, her face, but he left her mouth free. And her arms were, like, stuck up in the nightgown, kind of, like, over her head. And, like, she just couldn't get them loose. Um, so she was pretty much, like, dis- d- not disabled. Um, Inca- immobilized, yeah, by immobilized by that. Incapacitated, yeah. So then he tried to kiss her. And when she moved her head away, because that's a reflex, uh, he hit her in the face. Yes. He stole her ring. Um, Harper starts to cry now and says she should have kicked him and gotten away. And Olivia comforts her. She's like, he had a gun. You didn't have a chance. You did what you had to do. So Harper continues, he assaults her and says, is this the way you like it? And then he, once again, ejaculated on her stomach. He tells her to take a shower. Um, She says here he was, and I'm using air quotes, quote unquote, nice. He like adjusted the shower temp and said, is this okay for you? And when she said it was too hot, he changed it. Um, He washed her. He gave her a towel and a robe and then told her to get on the floor and look away and count to 20. And one thing she no- she mentioned was that he would say things like please and stuff the whole time. So it was like she was said it was sort of like he was being polite, you know, after the assault. Um, obviously, he wasn't being polite, but that was his his mannerisms were please. Thank you. You know, like that type of bullshit. Um, and then he also stole her wallet and the shirt that he used to wipe his, you know, off of her with. Um, and it was her Rosie the Riveter shirt. So it was kind of an important detail. Also very darkly ironic uh so that was writing i didn't think we need frankly oh, yeah i was like oh god yeah she even like flexes her bicep she's like you know we can do it it's like uh-huh Ugh. yeah i thought that was i was kind of like please don't cheapen this this yeah. moment so she describes her rapist as tall thin white with sandy hair uh who is probably like late 20s early 30s um they say he was tall here but he then later on they're like he was like five eight I know. I, I was like, maybe because she's <laughs> no married offense. to Michael J. Fox, she's like tall, 5'8". <laughs> <laughs> They're like, Tracy, can you do a little riffing here? Just like, you know, get into your character. Like describe, we're not going to even write it for you. Just describe the man. Describe the man. She goes, tall. He was so very tall. <laughs> Tallest man I've ever seen, actually. 5'8". <laughs> <five> <laughs> He's 5'8", a mid-sized king. Benson asked if the guy, like, smelled like anything, and it's, he had cologne on, and it was subtle, and so obviously it wasn't cheap. Stabler asks, could you think you could identify this guy in a lineup if you were to see him again? And she looks up, and she goes, absolutely. So it's now 5.01 a.m., and Stabler's now asking Harper about the ring I mentioned that was stolen earlier. And she does. She says it's unique, and she draws a picture. Um, they continue to ask her questions, and she's clearly exhausted, like her head's, like, kind of on the table. And finally, at 6.13 a.m., they are done, and they ask where they can take her, and she says to her boyfriend's house. So, dun, dun, uh, Harper, Benson gives Harper her pager number. This is kind of, that's not really anything happens there. Um, they're both like, I'm strong. Yeah, you're strong. 
Yeah, Olivia t- at 7.01 takes Harper to her boyfriend's apartment, drops her off, and she basically says that the state's going to pay to have her lock changed, and a counselor will call her to set up an appointment, gives Harper her pager number, and they kind of just exchange this look where they're just like, uh, kind of like, this is the first day of the rest of my life like this, I guess. Whew. Well, now we're at Harper's apartment, and I feel like I can breathe again, because that was a lot to get through. <laughs> I just want to make a note that this apartment was disgusting and i don't mean (laughs) i don't mean disgusting like it was unkempt i mean it was hideous pink hand-painted walls there was no primer because you could see the white under the pink paint magenta pink like 90s pink there was these hand-painted there was like a weed that she had painted on the wall it was like a giant green weed on the wall next to her grown-ass bed and then some cut out giant colorful paper flowers above the bed very childish decor in my opinion now this is what i would say is a trash apartment you thought layla's apartment was trash and that was well decorated (laughs) this is literally garbage and for some reason it's in tribeca i defy you to find me a building in tribeca that would let anyone mutilate the walls like this woman has the landlord does say later that no one else would move into this apartment maybe it was he thought it was because of what happened here but maybe it's because of the decor Olivia walks in and is like, oh, fuck, my one night stand is here. It's Cassidy. He's in Harper's apartment sniffing around. There's no fingerprints. Uh, they think that he got in through the window slash fire escape because it's broken. And Cassidy points out that the clock isn't facing Harper's bed. I think that's what he said. Uh, and he questions how Harper would have known that the attack lasted 42 minutes if she couldn't see the clock. And Benson looks at him. They're starting to like kind of act like an annoyed boyfriend girlfriend couple because she looks at him sort of like uh before and after. She's a hundred percent like annoyed. She they find a joint and Cassie's like, "Hey, look at this." Maybe she got high and paranoid. <laughs> and Benson goes, "So you think that she hallucinated the attack?" And he's like, "I don't know, uh, uh, maybe." So then they walk into the bathroom and Olivia notes that the curtain is wet and Cassie's like, "But the soap isn't." And Olivia's like, "Okay, Idiot. stop right there. This rape did happen." It's been seven hours. Soap can dry. Cassidy's like, this is classic. Staging a rape and wetting the curtain, but forgetting the soap. I'm like, classic what? Yeah, he says women who do this. And I'm like, how many women, how many 1034s have you dealt with where that's happened? Because you're, I think you're making shit up. So my favorite part is here. When Cassidy picks up the curling iron off the floor and he grabs Olivia and holds it to her head. And he's like, what does this feel like? And her face, she is just like, Oh my God, he's blowing our cover. He's blowing our cover right now. Oh my God. It was giving like where you're right. It's like you hook up with a guy and the next night you see him at the bar and you're like, okay, please be chill around our friends. And then they have zero chill and they walk up to you and just like do that. The dog equivalent of like lifting their leg. He lifts his leg and pees all over Olivia. I'm surprised Stabler didn't fly into a jealous rage. An angry, jealous rage, because I'm flying into an angry, jealous rage just watching it. Actually, his face through this scene is kind of hilarious because he's doing that thing where he doesn't want to look at either of them. He just kind of has that look on his face like, don't know where to put my eyes, but these two. Because, you know, as an Aries man, his face would never be able to hide. (laughs) So Stabler makes a note that the rape kit didn't turn up any seminal fluid and Harper didn't have any vaginal trauma. Um, So the men basically think it's very possible she could have staged the rape. Yes, and this makes Olivia very angry. I just, like, I don't understand. And they bring up the pot again, and I'm like... It is mind-boggling, the focus Cassidy puts on this baby joint. 
Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Dun dun, station again. Cragen is asking Stabler, Benson, and Cassidy about their thoughts, and Munch is there. He's probably so excited that he has to deal with Cassidy. So Olivia hisses, I can't believe you, at Cassidy like while they're back at the station. While everyone else is trying to do like their job, they're having this little hissing fight in the corner. Because he's just, we'll get into it more, but he is being so work inappropriate. Like, he is a nightmare. We'll get to it. He's a nightmare. Um, so Cassidy voices his opinion that there's very little evidence in his mind. And he thinks that Harper is making it up. And Craig raises his voice. You know how Craig does that thing where he's just like, he starts to yell, but like only kind of. Yes. So he raises his voice and goes, okay, well, we should still investigate the evidence that we do have. <laughs> It's like, okay, <laughs> are you mad or not? Uh, so they go over the details with Cragen, the ones they just found out two minutes ago, so we won't bore you. And Olivia notes that Harper said the attackers smelled, like we said, uh, like subtle cologne, which means it's expensive. And Cragen says, okay, so we can rule out anyone who's basically a street urchin. And basically, all they have is her description of him, and Stabler then deduces he is probably a righty, just based on how he hit her. Cassidy, an actual child, goes, well, that helps. He's just so mad over here with a boner all mad. Salty AF. So Cassidy finally decides he'll be helpful. He's going to look into the vendors of the Halloween carnival. Munch is going to go to the pawn shops to take a break from his partner, Cassidy, and to look for the unique ring. So yeah, Cragen walks up to Olivia, who has walked away from fucking Cassidy's terrible, horrible, toxic energy. And he goes, Olivia, I want you to follow up on the drugs. And then from over there, Cassidy yells, yeah, the pot makes me nervous. Uh, the pot makes me nervous. And Olivia's like, we're not going to bust her on that. And she looks super annoyed. And Craig is like, okay, well, can you just like talk to her about it and canvas her building, talk to the superintendent, whatever. Yeah, let's go. Let's go piss off a rape victim. Let's go fucking do everything wrong. Let's do it. Dun, dun. We're at Harper's boyfriend's apartment. So we are at the apartment of Benji Dow, Harper's boyfriend. He's played by Roger Bart, who I have personally seen play Dr. Frankenstein in a production of Young Frankenstein. My God. (laughs) Fun fact you guys probably didn't need to know. He was also, I think, on Desperate Housewives. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. So I thought he looked like James Vanderbeek or his cousin or something. I'm trying to think of like what else he's from, but he's like a Broadway guy. I think he does a lot of comedies, but he also, yeah, had a decent sized role on Desperate Housewives. I think he murders Brie Vandekamp's husband. Did I make that up? Who knows? This is my podcast. I can say whatever I want. Uh, nothing much happens in this scene. He says he's going to kill whoever did this. Olivia tells him right now Harper needs his unconditional support. And they ask where she works. Dun, dun. Dun, dun. That's it. Um, so now we're at Harper's work, which is a restaurant. Olivia immediately asks Harper. Like, we enter the scene and this is what happens. How much pot did you smoke last night? But Olivia's face is like, it's like when your, t- your two parents are like, okay, now you ask about the pot. And the other parent's like, I don't really want to ask about the pot. Like, I don't think it's a big deal. And they're like, no, you got to ask about the pot. And they're like, are you smoking pot? Yeah, <laughs> that's very accurate. And she's yeah. immediately defensive, and she's like, why? Do you think I got paranoid and lost it? I, too, would be pissed. Yeah, me, too, because it's not even what pot does to you. I know. But, yeah, so they're both kind of like, Stabler's like, we're just trying to figure out if there was some reason you never mentioned it to us. It's like, oh, I don't know, maybe this interaction right here, like you thinking I was going to make some shit up because I had, like, two puffs of a joint. Maybe that's why I didn't want to mention it to you. 
because because fucking reefer madness was a real thing. <laughs> Literally, that's all that she happens. didn't say any of that. But <laughs> she should have. Uh, dun dun. Harper's gross apartment again. Benson and Stabler are there with the landlord as the locks are being changed. Um, the wall behind them is orange. <laughs> it's just an orange wall. I'm going to post pictures of this apartment. The building super is like, can I paint over this? And they're like, no, she still lives. Just kidding. He asks if they're going to pay for the lock change. Um, so landlord's shaken, kind of. He's like raving about how nothing like this has ever happened in the building before. One time there was a dead body in the dumpster behind the building. But like, you know, that was one time. And I'm like, questions. <laughs> no, I wrote that too. I was like, hold on. Can we hear a little bit more about that? <laughs> Benson and Stabler are unconcerned. Um, he basically says they should go talk to some neighbors. He hasn't seen anything suspicious. Yeah, and they, yes, no no workmen, anything's been in the building, so he says you can go talk to the neighbors, which I thought was really good, because I think a lot of people just go, no, you can't bother the neighbors. It's actually quite helpful. We're about to meet someone un- incredibly unhelpful. <sighs> in his apartment. Um, so they're outside the building, and I don't know why they're doing this, but for some reason they're on the, they're outside the building, and they're talking to an elderly woman who's inside her apartment. So they're talking through the window, like COVID times, but it's 1999. And she's like leaning out of the window like Rapunzel. I mean, there she's face to face with them. But I was like, they couldn't go inside. She couldn't come outside. We had to talk through a window. It was very weird. I, she was so she says that she's not she didn't see anything that night. She goes, but I know who would have. And they're like, who? And she points across the street to the building across the street and says second floor and up there, the camera pans, there's just a guy standing in the window staring at them. And as soon as they turn around, he like bolts out He's of like, view. He's like, oh shit, he like ducks. <laughs> How many times a day? He must be, well, he was kind of slim. I'm like, he must be so slim ducking in and out of the window I, like no, that. Like giving him an ab workout from spying. <laughs> this man is a peeping Tom, if you didn't catch our drift. And just a absolute motherfucker. He might be the worst peeping Tom in the history of the world. And this, his name is Sam Lardner, and he has three previous arrests for trespassing. Oh, great. Yeah, this dude just, like, can't mind his own fucking business. God, I bet they weren't even his girlfriends. So now we're inside Sam Lardner's apartment. I just want to point out, this apartment, if it is an apartment at all and not a storage locker, is so bizarre. Like, unhinged. There are movie seats. Did you see the movie seats, Brittany? Oh, my God. How did I miss that? I will send you a picture. When Stabler turns and points at the window indicating Harper's apartment, there is a set of movie seats against the wall, like a couch. I did notice that he had a black and purple striped sheet hanging over his window when he ducked away from it, and I thought that was hideous. A lot of poor design choices in this episode. In Tribeca, no less. I'm so tired of this. tacky neighborhood, apparently. Not Tribeca, but this street, this strip right here. Everyone's just like a fucking tacky bitch. I would love to ask people, be like, so was Tribeca like awful back then? Because I know now celebrities live there and they probably would never allow this. Taylor Swift does not have purple and black striped sheets or orange walls. Thank you very much. I was trying to think of, I was like, who is a famous person that people care about who lives in Tribeca? And it is Taylor yep. Swift. <laughs> Benson and Stabler ask Larder if he knows Harper and he says no, but he looks disgusting and nervous. They start to trick him a little bit. And Benson goes, well, have you ever seen her apartment? It's across the way there. And he's like, no, no, I don't know what it is. And she goes, well, it's a great apartment. It's got red walls right there on the third floor. And Larder immediately goes, second. Yeah. And he. Dumb, dumb. Like, you. Dumb idiot. Yeah, they immediately trip him, up, trip him up. And he's like, uh. So Libby's like, okay, well, were you watching last night? And he's like, no. And he's like, and they're like, oh, okay. So you went over there. You got tired of watching. You went over there. And he's like, uh, no, no. I did see what happened last night. This motherfucker 
watched a guy climb the fire escape. And then he describes the attack and notes that she didn't wear underwear when she sleeps. Take him to jail right now. Right. No, none of this Abby Carmichael shit. Jail. No trial. Jail. Jail. Because it does feel 100%. Okay, so Ben Stabler goes, what did the guy look like? And Lardner goes, I didn't see him. And Stabler goes, how didn't you see him? You saw him climb up the fire escape. You saw, you know, details about her body. How didn't you see him? And he kind of keeps saying that. And then finally Lardner goes, I wasn't looking at him. Jail. Why is that not jail? Why is that not jail? Because he basically admitted, because he saw it from beginning to end. He watched him crawl up the fire escape, enter the apartment, attack her. And he clearly was watching for gratification. It'd be one thing if she was like, I was afraid if it was like somebody's like, I was scared. I thought the guy looked right at me. I was afraid he was going to come after me. I didn't know what to do. I was traumatized by what I saw. He admitted to what he did. Oh, I would be like, we're charging you as an accessory to rape. So then he even is shocked by this. Um, and he goes, what are you going to do to me? And, the, and Olivia, she thinks she fucking ate here. She really does think she ate. She goes, <laughs> same thing you did for her. And then she walks out. I'm like, oh, OK, so nothing. That was the answer is that is nothing. You're not going to. But the thing is, he did nothing for her and she got attacked. You're doing nothing for him and he's going to not go to jail. I don't understand. This this could be its own episode. Yeah. Like, I kind of want to write a spec script now about maybe there is one like this, but about something like this, because it feels so illegal. Couldn't they do something to him? Just like for shits and gigs. Drag this guy in and pretend you think he did it. Make him sit in the station for 24 hours and just act like you think he did it. Just ruin his fucking day. If that's the least you can do. Cassidy's out there touching himself and talking about how she made things up because she was high on reefer madness. You can't send him down to like ruin this dude's day. Knock his chair out from under him. Furthermore, where is angry, abusive Stabler in all this? This guy literally looked you in the face and admitted that he did not have any plans to call the cops when he was watching for sexual gratification a rape. And Stabler's like, this is just uncouth behavior. It just doesn't remind him of his girlfriend Maureen, so he does not care. And there you go. I keep forgetting that if it doesn't have anything to do with his kids or something that he could connect to his kid. Like, you know, Harper's 29. Maureen's not 29. So he can't be like, oh, this could happen to Maureen someday. Um, Done, done. We're back at the station. Jeffries is here. Yay. Best. Uh, and she tells them that she tracked down Harper's hair salon, gym, and et cetera to see if there were. This is weird. It's also a throwaway, but it was weird. She tracked down all the places she normally goes to to see if there were other victims in the same area. But it's like, how would you? I guess police reports, maybe. Yeah. She, but wouldn't they go to you she guys? Said she cross-checked them. But I was like, did you go to how? the gym and say to any of your Members recently been raped. Like, <laughs> did you see a drop off in membership because of violent assault? Yeah, I don't know. So anyway, Craig and Bo- <laughs> Craig-, <laughs> Craig and just thunders in because Jeffrey's screen time is over. He's like, would Harper buy five hundred pounds of meat? <laughs> And then Olivia goes, not even if it was on sale. Okay, did that come up in your interrogation? Yeah, like, what? How do you know that? They do know that her wallet was stolen, so it was kind of like sort of a tongue-in-cheek joke. It's kind of like, did Paige buy 2,000 sar- cans of sardines? And someone's like, not even if they were on sale. It's like, what? 
Well, and that's actually ironic because I would have bought 2,000 cans. I love sardines and canned fish in general. But where would you put them? Brittany just space shamed me. Oh no, I I wouldn't even put a <gasps> oh! apartment. <laughs> you your apartment with like fifty billion rooms and floors. You could put it. You have like two rooms in the attic. You could store sardines with so many, <laughs> so many. The way she just looked, you guys didn't see it, but she kind of looked up like as if she's looking at the walls of sardines. Like there's just so many. Like, oh my god, help! I picture you walking up to your sardine room when Tyler's out with like a glass of white wine and just going, there's so, so many. many. Uh, he is gone tonight. So I'm like, maybe when I'm done, I'll go inspect something and swirl my white wine and go, so many. Would you still be friends with me, let alone podcast with me, if when I moved back, I took you into a room? Now, I know I've just warned you, but it was just like filled with porcelain dolls. And I insisted that we sit and have brunch in there with the dolls. Sorry, I'm mentally walking through this scenario. <laughs> See, I just I just described it and I feel like it would be kind of hilarious. So. Well, I'm picturing you like straight face, but I can see in your eye that you're, that you're testing me in a joking manner. And I'm debating whether to like question this or kind of one up you by acting like nothing's wrong. And in that way, we're <laughs> the other person a fucking psycho because we're both just straight faced eating brunch with these dolls and we both have our eyebrows raised to our hairline because we're just like challenging each other we're like so anything in this room you wish to discuss and i'm sweating (laughs) (laughs) and and i go would you like another petite four and you're like love one and then a tiny doll hand comes up from the side with a slow-moving plate of petite fours. I feel a small porcelain hand trail down my back, and I'm just like, ramrod straight, like, what is happening? Is this a joke, or have things gone too far? <laughs> I'm having a seizure. I am not okay. Uh, I'm crying off all my makeup. got to do the under eye, like the delicate under eye, like... Oh my god, Kim, that was so funny. Um, so they they deduce that someone is using Harper's credit card and Munch and Cassidy are sent out to find the guy. Oh, I bet Munch is so angry. He's like, I got a whole two days without Cassidy. You know Cassidy's the type that, like, fishing, like fishing for oh, absolutely. Munch to ask him. He's like, mm, I'm a little sore, if you know what I mean. And Munch is just, like, thinking about his next phrenology appointment. He's like, motherfucker everyone knows i'm sorry if you've ever been in a situation where you have a friend group or a co-working sp- and you guys have hooked up and you think you're hiding it you're never hiding no, it i'm sorry and he wishes that he and benson were just whispering all over the office right now like that's he would be he would be so inappropriate if she let oh, him 100 percent. he's al- already been pretty bitchy and inappropriate and i apologize yeah. again for my sign because this is classic cancer He's being a cancer oh, right now. Such a cancer. We'll get to it. There's <laughs> there's a grotesque scene later on. A gro- simply grotesque. So we're in the station later, a little later. They bring in, uh, Cassidy and Munch bring in, I said Gary Busey's son, because that's who this looks like. Oh, yeah. He's, he's a meathead. It's kind of funny because he's like the meat guy, but he literally looks like a meathead. They are marching him down the hall. 
And they're like, just like razzing him about all the meat he bought. Oh, wait, Cassidy catches up to them and pulls Olivia aside. And he's like, hey, you left this and gives her back her watch. They were in her apartment. They were. in. Yeah, you're right. What do you mean you left this? So he stole it. The sheets she has are have like a medallion shape on them. So I was kind of like, oh, my God, did Cassidy pick medallion sheets? And then I was like, oh, oh, oh this is Olivia's apartment. But yeah, he fucking grabbed her watch and then like brought it to her. Like, you, I wonder if he was like, oh, I'm going to take her watch and then I'll catch up to her later. And be like, hey, you forgot this. I'm like, she's with Stabler. She can ask him what the time it is, you fucking weirdo. So, yeah, he stole that fucking watch. He's a little girl. <laughs> so he's doing that thing where he's smiling manically at oh, her. Oh, yeah. Like, smi- like, he says, I really want to see you again. And this is, she, girl, people, people, I should say people, we've all been here. We've all been here. When someone, you can tell someone is feeling you so fucking hardcore and the energy, it's so terrifying. You're like, get away from me with this energy. So Olivia says, and I think she's very clear here. Look, Cassidy, we went to Maloney's. Huh. We got drunk. I know. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. <laughs> Not a real place. So they definitely were just doing that to raz Christopher Maloney. Sorry, it just occurred to me. I'm like, oh my God, Stabler secretly wants to bang Olivia. And then they named the bar that she hooked up with Cassidy at after him. It's a slap in the face. No, I'm telling you, these writers are just, they're just disgusting. mean people. They're mean. They're disgusting people. Fucking rude. rude. Um, so Ka- she explains to Cassidy that she basically only wanted to get her rocks off. And he loses it, I wrote, loses it a little bit. He's like, this is about what happened at Harper's apartment. My doubting. He goes, it's just a job. It's not personal, Liv. And Olivia's like, neither was last night. Aquarius, meet cancer. Also, I think it's hilarious that he decides to, instead of just assuming that maybe she really just wanted to have sex, which yes, does happen for ladies sometimes, that it had to have been something he did. Okay. Dun dun. Bullpen. The stabler is putting, there are these lockers in the middle of the bullpen. And first of all, they've got their names written crudely on these like manila envelopes on the outside of the lockers. But Cassidy's locker is right above Benson's. Did you see how he wrote his name like a fucking child? See, I thought his was written probably the least offensively. Vercotta or whoever was like down the way. That was, that was ridiculous. Cassidy's to me just looks like he did it. Like where he had the marker clenched like this. Cassidy. Stabler's over there by the lockers, and Benson walks over, and they just start re- literally just chit chatting about the meat guy. And I'm gonna do the chit chatting because it needs to happen in order to lead into this. So Stabler's like 500 pounds of meat. Could have been more creative. Yeah, DVD player or something, or lottery tickets to up his chances. Ha! Huh, can you imagine if that guy won the lottery? No, I can't. How long you been sleeping with Cassidy? <laughs> it's like what the fuck? Olivia's like. Uh, uh. I'm not. And Stabler just kind of looks at her and he's like, your stomach just dropped two floors. Okay. So. Yeah. Olivia's like, I'm not lying. Not much. And then she's like, is it that obvious? Stabler's kind of giving her a sexy grin. I wrote what's going on here. It's kind of like, I'm your partner. I'm like, what does that mean? (laughs) Right. He was like. I'm your partner. And, he, and I'm paraphrasing, but he basically said, I'm going to love you through thick and thin. <laughs> it's like, okay. Yeah. And then it was another conversation they were having where Elliot is having one conversation with a wall and Olivia is having another conversation with a separate wall. And they paired it together and made it a conversation. 
But she says, you know, I broke one of my rules and now he wants to see me again. And Stabler goes, can you blame him? And she's just ignoring the fact that Stabler's spitting light game at her. It was hot. It was. I'd be like. It was hot. It was inappropriate. It was a little inappropriate. Olivia's just like, la 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 la, like in her own world. She's like, I never meant for this to happen. And Stabler tells her just to be nice and he'll be cold. He'll get over it. It happens. And then I'm like, how would you know, you married son of a bitch? So now that this little love fest is over, they go over to where Cragen is waiting for them. And they observe the meat guy just chilling in the interrogation room. Uh, Stabler's reading his rap sheet and this guy just loves stealing. He's aggressively itching his neck. Did you notice that at the beginning of the scene? He's like, yeah, what? I don't know. I'm like, what? Itchy, do you, do you have a rash, sir? He's probably got the meat got sweats. The meat sweat. All that meat. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm sorry to digress one more time. But one time, Mike Klumpa said to Tyler, he goes, you know when you eat chicken parm too fast and your neck swells up? <laughs> Can I put that yes, in? please. Tyler's like, what? I don't. <laughs> so whenever we eat something too fast, we go, ugh, my neck's swelling up. <laughs> Because you know what I love that is that most likely what it means is that he's not chewing his food enough and the he's taking too big a chunks and it's like hurting his esophagus. Uh, anyway, um, sorry, I didn't mean like anyway. Oh, the, I said the meat guy was named Terry Serpico and I looked him up only because I thought he was like, again, Gary Busey's son, maybe Dennis Leary. I thought he was several other actors, but he becomes the like. Oh my god, it's like one of the sergeants. I think he's the replacement for internal affairs guy after internal affairs guy dies. Oh, like later in SVU? Yeah, because he's in later episodes of SVU. Okay, oh, that's interesting. So Olivia says Harper's on her way uh, to ID this guy, call him the meat guy, because he fits the physical description, and he does. Um, meat guy says that he went out around, it was like... About 11 p.m., but he's kind of vague about where he was, what he was doing. He's like, oh, I just went out. I wanted to take a walk, you know, la, la, la. He mentions eating so cereal. Right. He's it. like, I went home. I uh, got dressed. I ate some cereal. I got dressed again, and I went out. I was just bored. I don't know. I wanted to go out. So Stabler gets in his face, like literally gets in his face, and accuses him of attacking Harper and then stealing her wallet. So the meat guy just goes, all right, no, no way. I didn't do that. Yes, I took the wallet. I found it on the street on the corner of... In a Moore Street, um, that was Harper Street, it had picked clean a cash, but it had her credit card, so he decided to take that. And he definitely didn't attack her because kind of right after that happened, he tried to jump a turnstile into the subway and he got arrested by the subway cops and he was in lockup for the night. Yes, he didn't get out until 1 a.m., which since we've had a clearly time-stamped timeline of what happens, we know Harper was at the hospital at this time. Yes. So he definitely, well, they're still going to double check. Yes. Still going to double check. But probably didn't do it. So dun dun. Now they're double checking. And it's Craig and Stabler and Benson. And they're seeing if this really did happen. And it did. So he was locked up at the time he said it. At the time he said he was. Um, Right then, Harper walks in to ID the meat guy. uh, And Olivia, unfortunately, has to tell her that they had the wrong guy and they had to let him go. I want to say... A minute earlier, Cragen was munching on a red vine, and when he learned there were no new leads, he goes, hmm, that sucks, I need to go do paperwork, and Cragen is either completely unbothered or very bothered. I've noticed. Yes. Uh, like he goes from being like, well, I got a bunch of paperwork to do, there's nothing we can do here, to being like, where are we with this case? Um, so Harper, she's distraught. 
And Olivia gives Harper the keys to her apartment with the new locks. And she kind of just looks at her and she goes, so we still out there? And I did write because again, writing, I'm like, yeah, she just told you that. They didn't catch yeah. him. That's why she looks upset to see you. Olivia looks guilty AF. Kind of a somber. Dun, dun. I guess it's more of a dun, dun. Because now we're six months later. It's apparently Easter time. Someone has an Easter basket on their desk. So Olivia walks into the bullpen and she's wearing a date outfit. And I just want to describe this date outfit because it is 2000. It's a structured pink crop top, kind of like it's like a business shirt, but like a crop top and um, a business skirt that goes all the way down to her knees. It is both very, it's both slutty and prim at the same time. (laughs) I was going to say it's, it's like a good outfit, but it's not a good outfit. It's slutty, but it's prim. I it's confusing, it's confusing, but mystifying. She has, you can see like a band of her stomach and she's got very defined abs and I'm jealous. Well, her dad's a bodybuilder. Ugh. So I guess. Rishka. Ugh. Cassidy is sitting in his chair, all salty. You know he waited there I was about too. To say, you know yeah, that he could have gone home. He could have gone home, but he's like, mm. Olivia went into the other room to change and I heard her say that. So I'm just going to sit here. So he sees her. He goes, you look nice. And she goes, thanks. Like genuinely sweet. And then he's like, so you're going to and she's like, "Are you going out?" And she goes, "Yeah." And he's like, "Uh, six months ago, you didn't have time for a relationship." She's like, "It's not you. I don't fall in love with people I work with. Who says she was gonna fall in love with him?" Well, he's a cancer, so he already probably is in love with her because uh, we're the worst. And then he responds, so now you're in love? Which, again, cancering. Cancering. No one said I'm in love. She is going on a date. So pure, bona fide, this is not, it's excluding you, bona fide cancer toxicity is him hearing I'm going on a date and assuming, so now you're just in love. Now you're just like getting married tomorrow to some guy you barely know. And she is still trying to play it friendly. She's like, yeah, if I'm lucky. And he's like, well, if you get married, you'll be bored. It was so dramatic. As long as you have this job, any relationship you have will be an affair. That is manipulative. Gaslighting. I am so sorry on behalf of my people. I am so embarrassed. Embarrassing. You have never done anything like this before. And so I'm excluding you from it. And you're a double cancer. So I don't even know. This is just like. Meanwhile, Cassidy is probably a cancer sun, a Scorpio moon and a Pisces rising because this boy is all water. So yeah, he screams at her uh, just in broad daylight and she's handling, well, not broad daylight. <laughs> broad <on> daylight. Day- <laughs> oh, and I said, I was like, he would be, this would be a nightmare. This is why you shouldn't date coworkers. And I'm only saying it for this reason, because this would be a fucking nightmare to deal with if you weren't a police officer who knew several forms of self-defense. Like, I would be in tears thinking about having to deal with this because I don't think they wanted it to come off as like, crazy energy but it comes off as crazy energy like all he of this t- she told him no right several times like she wasn't even like pussyfooting like, this isn't cute every step of the way she has set a boundary and he is just like and i'm gonna burn that fence down he's Mm-mm. so then craigan calls her into his office he says you're gonna want to see this and i was hoping it was the pink slip he was going to give to cassidy <laughs> but no inside his office is a man his name is Detective Halligan. So Cragen goes, I want you to hear what Halligan told me. And I thought he was going to let Halligan talk, but no, he instead then starts summarizing what this detective told him. A few days ago, a man breaks into a woman's apartment while she's home alone. He's wearing a mask. 
He has a gun. He smacks this woman around, pushes her down on the bed, but he's polite the whole time, says please. She has a gun under her mattress. She pulls it on him and flips on the lights. He didn't have a gun. It was a curling iron. So that's interesting to me because they do say that it's um, the victim's curling irons. They said it was Harper's curling iron and this girl's curling iron. So I'm like, how is he finding their curling irons? He's just spending a lot of, I guess like he's moving around really stealthily. This is not something that is important and they never answer my question, but I'm kind of like, how did he know where to find the curling irons? Every lady's different. I'm a pretty light sleeper. If someone was rummaging around in my bathroom, I would be up and out the door. It's just weird. It makes it sound like he's going and finding their curling irons because he, it makes sense if he was bringing his own curling iron, but he is finding theirs. Anyway. Olivia tells the detective it sounds like a case of theirs from six months ago, and she asks, does she ask if she shot him? She, okay, so she, he said that she froze up, and then Halogen says that the victim saw, the guy got out through the front door, and then she saw the attacker limping down the street, and that's why the cops ended up picking him up, I guess because she described that. When did he hurt himself? I don't know. I thought... Because he brings... The- yeah, I was going to say to you, oh, did I miss them saying that he, she like, I don't know, kicked him in the ankle or something? Right. Because I, I watched it four times and I think all we go to was he was on top of her, but she managed to pull out her gun and that was it. So I guess we're supposed to just assume he like was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And then like... Yeah, whoa, 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 whoa. Like snapped his ankle and limped off into the night. Yeah, that's how they caught the cops knew... To- that it was the guy, because otherwise they wouldn't have known, because no one knows what this fucker looks like. So they have the limping guy. Oh, also, I think you might have said this. Um, the attacker this time, he had a mask. Yes. And even though Harper had the nightgown over her face, she did see him at a few points during the assault. Um, Halogen mentions that this guy, their attacker, didn't rape Jane Tyler, this current victim who had the gun, because she pulled the gun out before she could. So I'm like, yay! Same. I was like, oh, that's, I'm happy for her. Um, he, so he's this rich West Village guy. His, they had him, his lawyer got him out, and Olivia's like, oh, we got him. This is him. So Cregan's like, okay, well, you need to get Harper to ID him, but first he wants Olivia to go get a statement from Jane Tyler and just make sure the MOs really do line up. Um, and they have no forensics, so this needs to be really tightly done, essentially. Dun dun. So we're at Jane Tyler's apartment now. Jane's face is bruised. She's kind of looks like um, Harper a little bit, blonde hair, you know, same age. Jane describes how she had the gun, pointing the gun at the guy, but she couldn't pull the trigger even after everything he'd done to her. So the guy got up and he left through the front door. The attacker also took her father's watch uh, and it said Leo on the inside of it was inscribed, but she didn't report that to the police uh, when they arrived. So Olivia kind of because that's strange. Olivia kind of gets a feeling and she asks Jane what else she omitted from the initial investigation when the first officers responded. And Jane admits that the attacker actually did rape her. And Olivia asks, did he ejaculate on your stomach? Jane says yes. And she also confirms that he made her take a shower. Jane says that she was just way too upset and traumatized to report the attack uh, to the responding officers. Um, And she said that basically she was embarrassed. They were going through her things. It was just Yeah, she just wanted, like, the cops gone and out of her apartment, which I think is, like, totally understandable. She also says, he kept saying, is this how you like it? Um, And as she's saying that, it's really sad. A tear rolls down her cheek, which I applaud the actress for being able to cry, but it did take some of her bruise makeup because 
the tear like going down her cheek was kind of like bruise colored and I'm like oh oh no like, oh, her makeup's running she did such a good job acting and crying but uh, it took off her bruise makeup dun 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 so now we're at the limping guy who was seen who attacked Jane we think his name is Kenneth Cleary I think we did say that but I forget so BNS are outside the apartment um they ring the bell and his wife answers Mrs. Cleary she calls over to Kevin and when he arrives holding his young son, who has the exact same haircut as him, they both have <laughs> 90s bowl cuts. And Olivia notices right then she looks at Mrs. Cleary's hand and she's wearing Harper's ring. Mr. and Mrs. Cleary kind of look at each other like, oh, dun dun. So now we're in the interrogation room. Benson and Stabler are in there with Kenneth uh, and they ask him how he hurt his ankle. And he says that he stepped off the curb, which, again, means nothing to us because this is all the first time we're hearing about it. Oh, yeah. He's like, oh, I'm such a klutz. Oops. <laughs> he's kind of like Mr. Perfect. Like, he's got the perfect answer for everything. He, and he's very, like, yeah. jovial. Like, they're like... And to, oh, sorry. Oh, no. I was going to say, I cut you off, first of all, so... <laughs> so they ask him why he was out at 2.45 in the morning. He's like, I was clearing my head. Stabler's like, so uh, did you clear your head at Jane Tyler's apartment? He's like, who? And Stabler's like, oh, an attractive blonde. Six months ago, you did another woman? I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Did. Again, Olivia suddenly swoops in and goes, like, takes the biggest sniff of this guy. And I, I mean, we know he did it. And it's still kind of like a little off-putting. So then she asks where he bought his wife's ring. And Kenneth gets nervous then. And he says, oh, I maybe need to call a lawyer for that one. Uh, Liv says he's on his way. The lawyer is and asks again. Kenneth says he bought it on the street. Olivia then asks about the watch. He has his arm on the table with his fist up and you can see he's wearing a watch and Olivia clocks it and is like, oh, and how about this watch here? And he's like, oh, no, no. Been in the family for years. So she has to see it and she looks at it and she's like, who's Leo? And he's like, oh, that's my sign because he totally looks like someone who knows his star sign. Yeah, or like a man who would accept a watch with his star sign imprinted on it what guy who's not an astrologer would ever be like oh thanks you could have put anything inside this watch but you put leo because that's my star sign that's like that's some shit i would do but no one would like it if i got tyler a watch that said taurus he'd be like thanks stabler asks where his quote jeweler works out of and um kind of says that it's a guy off the streets named tj and he tells him and stabler's like where does he like post up and he gives him these wrong cross streets, so Stabler kind of calls that out and says, why don't you draw it on this map? And they're treating him like how they know. Like, they're treating, they're like, whatever you say is just fuck shit at this point. Like, we know you're a fucking liar, you you smarmy piece of shit, I you. love how Stabler, or how Chris Maloney deliver, delivers this line. He goes, why don't you make us a diagram of where TJ is? <laughs> like, TJ clearly has quotation marks around it. Um. So, dun-dun! Cragen's office. He's doing that thing, Cragen is, where he's mad that they want to pursue the obvious suspect because there's like two holes in the case that keeps them from doing so. And he acts like these are like offensively offensive things that they're suggesting to him. To be fair, Olivia's like, but he smells expensive. And even I am like, okay. Stabler outlines their other evidence. He's like, well, we have the watch. We have the ring. He, he has trophies he's collected from his victims. And Cragen's like, only Harper reported they can only, only go after him for Harper's rape. And then he kind of sits down after his outburst like he's tired. And he's like, maybe, <laughs> maybe I can get him on a possession of stolen goods. But you need Harper to ID him. 
yeah, and he's like, can she ID the ring? And Olivia's like, she can ID the guy, not just the ring. And then Craig is like, cool, we got to get her to come in and actually do it. And you have 24 hours um, because, like, that's the law. Uh, in 24 hours, they have to release him. So clock's a ticking. Dun dun. We go back to Harper's apartment. The landlord answers the door and apparently Harper moved out like right after the attack. She never spent another night there. And the landlord said that he moved into the apartment because he didn't feel right renting it out to anybody else. Um, it's also a huge apartment. So I don't like, know. Oh, this is nice. <laughs> I'm going to paint the walls because this color's hideous. But um, no, this is pretty nice. So, dun-dun, now we're at Harper's boyfriend's apartment, Benji. And uh, Benji tells BNS that after the attack, Harper moved in with him, but she was still super traumatized. Um, And I'm not even trying to be funny, but just like what he describes. And she was acting erratically. So she stopped eating. She lost her job. Not in that order. Um, She was working out excessively, and she would wear her running shoes to bed. And she also couldn't sleep without the lights on. That is not that big a deal, but speaks to the fact that she is just in general for fear of her life constantly. And then a few months ago, she she broke up with him. And for some reason, he says that she got a whole new place and a new job, and she's a new Harper, which we see. We do see. Um, Stabler asks if he knows where she went, and he writes down her address. Um, this is a really quick scene. We're at Harper's new apartment. Benson and Stabler knock on the door. She cut all her hair off, got a headband, tells him to fuck off. That is 100% what happens. <laughs> I don't care what you want. Don't ever come here again. And then she slams that beautiful ass door in their face, because that was a great apartment. Dun dun. Not an orange wall to be seen. Definitely knew Harper. She got some taste. I wrote, for some reason I wrote Cragen's apartment, but <laughs> I met Cragen's office. He might live there. I don't fucking know. Abby's here. Um, Cragen says that Cleary, Cleary's, Cleary is a terrible name. I wrote clearly a thousand times in writing these notes. Cragen says Cleary's wife was no help. She always remembers him sleeping through the night. Abby then asks if they found TJ. Benson's like, yeah, we found five TJs. They sell electronics and don't, basically they don't sell stolen goods or jewelry. So yeah, Olivia, I think you said this. Olivia asks if they get a warrant for Kenneth's apartment, but Abby says that uh, they won't know what to look for because there aren't any other victims at the moment. Benson's then like, oh, can I force Harper to identify him? And Abby, Abby's like, um, bully or rape victim? No, thank you. Craig had turned into a dad. He was like, Olivia. <laughs> Like, she had said a bad word, like, for the eighth time, and he was, like, tired of it, you know? Oh, yeah, no, 100%. And basically, Abby's just like, you don't have anything I can use. I hate these conversations with the DAs. They're always like, nope, I know that's kind of evidence, but not enough evidence. So Olivia insists that Harper can ID him, and Abby's like, okay, well, you use your powers of persuasion to get her in here, and you have to get her to do that. Craig tells Olivia to bring a photo array to Harper and get her to take a look. Conveniently, Munch and Staler are busy, so she has to bring her toxic cancer work mate, Cassidy. You know, Cassidy definitely paid them or, like, staged a robbery or something over on the other. A robbery with underwear left at the scene so that Stabler and Munch would have to go investigate that. Yes. (laughs) That's definitely what happened. So, dun-dun, interrogation room. They still have Kenneth in there, but now his attorney has arrived and um, Munch is in there. And I don't even know what Kenneth was saying, but they're basically trying to set him up as this, like, sleazy like arrogant um sociopathic kind of guy who's just not aware of the fuck shit he's gotten himself into because he's like trying to give munch like investment advice or something and munch is just kind of like letting him talk but he's like yeah uh uh-huh and even his attorney at one point goes kenneth (laughs) (laughs) 
Candace, please. <laughs> he literally goes, yeah, it's just like, Kim. Kim. Oh, my God, Kim. This is a police station. Um, also, Candace is wearing a peacock tie, which I thought was kind of like tongue in cheek because he's peacocking right oh, now. He's the fucking worst. And Stiebler comes in holding a sheet of paper and tells Kenneth, you're a Cancer, not a Leo. My people! This is not a good episode for Cancers. I'm very embarrassed. No, I'm so sorry. Cancers are being dragged through the mud this episode. Fucking Cleary. Cleary goes, "Mm, okay, it's a nickname. And Stabler's like, for who? And he's like, my grandfather. And Stabler, who apparently has a paper with every detail of this man's life written on it, goes, no, his name's Percy. And and then it was kind of funny. Kenneth goes, well, wouldn't you rather be called Leo than Percy? And I'm like, yeah, true. (laughs) He like kind of interrupts Stabler to turn back to Munch to talk about weird investments again. So then Stabler (laughs) leans in like right next to Kenneth's face. Yeah, it's it's fucking hilarious. I'm going to post a video of it. And he goes. And he yell talks. He goes, do you get to Tribeca a lot? <laughs> <laughs> and the attorney interrupts and says, Kenneth, you don't have to answer that. And then Stabler, because he's right in between these two men, he just turns his head to the other side. So now he's looking <laughs> at the attorney. He goes, what can he discuss? Stabler's tired. Stabler's tired. We're all tired. The cancers have sucked all the air out of this episode. And I am so sorry. There is no air, earth, or fire to be found in this episode. It's just completely flooded. It's the great flood. Dun, dun. <laughs> dun, dun. Uh, so Harper's apartment, her new apartment, because it's a new, har- new apartment, new Harper. So Cassidy and Benson are there. They're waiting for Harper to open her door. And Olivia's kind of banging on the door going, come on, Harper. I'm just as stubborn as you. <laughs> it's like, okay. So then Harper finally opens the door and lets them in. Um, and Olivia tells her about T- Jane Tyler's case, how it's like almost identical to hers. And Cassidy asks her to take a look at their photo lineup that they brought. And she refuses because she never wants to see her rapist again. Yeah, she's like, I don't give AF. She's over it. She doesn't want to look at the picture. And Kesty's like, well, what about his other victims? Harper's like, nope, don't care. Yeah, she goes, and what will that do for me? Give me closure. And I did write, yes, because then the guy who attacked you will be in jail and not at large. Olivia explains that they know that there are other victims out there. She is the only one who can ID him. And, and like you said, I'm sorry, you already said this. She's like, what good will that do? New Harper, new hair is is having none of this. And she's just like, listen, I'm over it. I cut my hair. I lit a candle. And guess what? I'm over it. And I wrote, what? <laughs> yeah, she basically d- delivers this entire diatribe. So Harper, Harper goes on this long tangent. And so finally, like Cassidy and Olivia are finally to Cassidy's great delight, probably are having their own album of whisper songs. And Cassidy mutters. Maybe he isn't the guy that did her. Did. So, you know how we've been pissed about that term the past 10 episodes? For the first time, someone actually says something, and Harper goes, did me? The guy who did me? And then she calls Cassidy an ass, and I'm like, yes, finally, finally. Thank you. I wonder how much hate mail NBC Universal got. Before somebody finally was like, hey, this is gross. Stop saying yeah, that. So I'm, I'm maybe this is going to be the last time. I actually we should we should clock that. We'll see if we can clock that because that would be interesting. So Olivia kind of uses this rage towards Cassidy and goes, well, then why don't you do something about it? And then she gives this very long, beautiful monologue about closure being a myth. And essentially, you can either kind of take this pain into yourself or you can fight like hell to get your own justice. So. 
Harper's still, she's like, no, no, I'm over it. And Olivia's like, then when was the last time you went to sleep without wearing your running shoes? And Harper looks a little embarrassed that she knows that. (laughs) Harper's like, shit. Kind of right there is when Harper kind of, I think, is supposed to realize like what her life has become in some ways. Like she's trying to fix herself. And yet here is this thing that she still does. So Olivia manages to convince her. She's like, if you're not going to do it for yourself, then come back to the station for us and do this lineup. And Harper's like, fine. I don't know why I would be doing anything for you people, but okay. That actually would be the thing that inspired me the least. Right, me too. I'd be like, fuck What do I give a shit? Do it for Jane Tyler, maybe. Do it for other victims, sure. For Olivia Benson. What's that going to do for her? Would I do anything for Olivia Benson? Maybe, but. (laughs) Well, I think that's kind of the thing is that Jane's or um, Harper's like, yeah, I don't give a shit about the other victims, but something about Olivia's face. She's she's like, all right. Dun, dun. So kind of quick scene. It's the station lineup. Kenneth has walked in with others with six other guys and Harper is outside the room, obviously. So Cragen directs the men to say, is this how you like it? Uh, sequentially. So each man goes. And when we get to Kevin, he says his line. Um, no need to repeat it. Uh, and Harper listens to everyone. And she says her attacker is not in there. And it's kind of shocking. Dun, dun. Uh, Olivia, they're in the bullpen. They go to sit down at Olivia's desk and Harper is, it was heartbreaking. She was like, so, although it was strange, she was excited because she goes, I'm just so glad he wasn't in there. Like basically like she didn't have to face him, which again, I would want him away, but that's my story. I think it was kind of one of those things where she didn't realize until it was happening. She probably like started feeling really sick right before. And she was like, oh my God, he's going to be here. He's going to be here. And then when she looked at them all and didn't recognize them, almost like a relief. She was so tense thinking about seeing him and then he wasn't there. So she kind of was like, kind of like a, like a big relief. So she's kind of like, yeah, he wasn't there. Right. And I totally, um, again, I've never been through this. And I'm sure it was based off of some firsthand account, despite some of the crap writing. Olivia says, I want to tell you something. Like, kind of like, I want to burst your bubble quick. And she holds up Harper's ring. And Harper asks how she got it. And Olivia says, again, I think she could have delivered this line a lot. Not the line itself, but she could have rephrased. She goes, from the man you couldn't identify. Right. It's not said accusatorily, but it's still like she could have said like from a man that was in that lineup, unfortunately, and we think he did it. And I guess you didn't recognize him or something like not like from a man you did not recognize. But this is a lot because one of Harper's like we didn't really nail it home a lot, but she um, she always kind of repeated that she would always be able to know she would know who it was as soon as she saw him. Um, So this is when she kind of just like. Her new kind of, I fuck this facade crumbles and she's just scared again, um, completely devastated. And she said that she was convinced that all this time that she would be able to identify him no matter what. Oh my God. And then she says, she's crying and she says, my mother died a long, slow, horrible death. And I always believed that after going through something like that, nothing bad could ever happen to me again. That broke my heart because I think we all think that in a way. So I just, I felt so devastated for her in that moment. I was like, oh my God. Yeah, I think that I've, I've said it was not about anything as horrific as this. It was more of a bratty statement, but I've said things like that before. Yeah. So Olivia pulls her in and they hug as Harper cries. And I'm like, oh my God, I hope. Wonder what will happen next scene. Executive producer Dick will fuck you. This episode's over. No! But, but, nay, 
part one. Yes. So there's more. Now, will we get the more for, you know, even another year? No. no. It's season two, guys. It'll be. Oh, it's season two? I thought it was like four. Okay, good. Uh, no, I believe it is season two. I wonder nice. Should we just skip? To, should we just do this next episode? Next episode? <laughs> kind of fun. We could. Yeah, nothing's stopping us. Let's see. We'll discuss. Right. We'll discuss yeah. our next move. I enjoyed this episode. Um, I really don't have any outstanding questions, except for I wonder what the meat guy wanted 500 pounds of meat yeah, for. Yeah, what was his plan there? That's really bad what for you. What kind of meat was it? Like, was it 500 pounds of hamburger meat? Because that's a waste. That's was a waste. Nice Are you meat? Sweeney Todd over here? I assume it would be nice meat that maybe he was going to hawk to delis or something, you know, like like not conglomerates. Um Maybe for a lower price, he was going to try to do that or something. Or this man is just fiending for gout and wanted to stock up on meat and give himself a just, swollen neck. Just. <laughs> 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 oh, my God. Well, guys, that was this episode. Um, OK, I guess we'll announce um, what episode is next on the docket just in case. But if we change our minds. Yes. Or should we just leave that off? Should we leave it a mystery? Guys, it's either going to be season one, episode 11, Bad Blood, or it's going to be season two, episode three, Closure Part Two. For a little palate cleanser, would it be interesting to you if I read this blurb on Astro Talk about love compatibility between Aquariuses and Cancers? Yes, because I would love to know why he thought this was a good idea. All right, so this is their love compatibility as according to Astro Talk, Aquarius and Cancer, they give them a 49%. So I'm going to say that's not so great. No. When Cancer and Aquarius make a love match, it can be a case of opposites attracting. Cancer takes an emotional approach to life. <laughs> Aquarius, an offbeat, unconventional approach. While Cancer often retreats into its shell, Aquarius takes every opportunity to be the extrovert, the organizer, and party animal. They love... What? I know, no Aquarius. My father's an Aquarius. Mom, did you hear that? <laughs> they love to find themselves amongst friends. Social settings are simply their thing. If a Cancer and an Aquarius can find a way to combine these qualities in a positive way, they can go anywhere together. Aquarius personas tend to be honest, in a brutal sense, true, at least in this episode. It is not due to a non-caring attitude, rather it is their light-hearted approach to life. The Aquarian personality sees no reason to be so serious. This can make the Cancer personality wonder if the Aquarius partner will ever be serious. Well, she will because she does settle down with him for like a season. So how can this combination ever work? Cancer needs to take a breath and calm their inner emotional storm. You hear that, everyone? Calm your inner emotional storm. Okay, there's a reason why people say this about you guys all the time. If the relationship is to work, it will come together of its own accord. No forcing the issue will make it happen. Patience is the key to the cancer personality. Acceptance of, oh, don't accept our emotional mentality. It says it'll make it easier on the Aquarius. No. Mm -mm. Anyway, so they basically say it's not a great idea, but it can work. <laughs> I like how they put a lot of it on the cancer. Like in, in every compatibility thing, they always kind of do that. They're like, well, it would work, except for this one over here is probably not. <laughs> I don't know how accurate that was, but uh, Cassidy did have quite the emotional storm going this episode. I think it was. And Olivia was being lighthearted in that scene when he was like, you look nice. She's like, thanks. You know, like she was trying to make little jokes. So I thought that was very oh, accurate. Her delivery, she was like, Brian. I. I thought we were over this. Like, that's not how, what she says. She's like, Brian. <laughs> no, it's so true. So I think that was, that was an excellent palate cleanser. Good way to end. Thank you. 
Oh, guys, thank you so much for bearing with us. I calmed down towards the end. You'll notice I grew. (laughs) And as a Cancer, I apologize on behalf of my sign, especially the males. We're just just got a lot of feelings. Well, it's Thursday night, night before St. Patrick's Day. I hope everyone who is drinking responsibly is drinking responsibly. (laughs) (laughs) Cheers, guys, and see you next time. See you next time. Bye. Uh, The pot makes me nervous.